you're going to win, you know, six matches over the course of, you know, three days or so, um, it's not going to just all go according to plan. Um, and so I was definitely fortunate, uh, but also played some, some of the best golf of my life to kind of get that done. In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the company of gentlemen golfers who played of Leaf, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers who play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leaf Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian, Colin Sheehan. Hey, Colin. Great to be back with you. Thanks, Steve. Delighted. We've got a lot of cool things going on. Uh, you know, we've got episode number two here with Kevin O'Connell. He'll be talking about his upcoming run to play in the Masters and, and his uh, Walker Cup practice session a month or so ago uh, back at Seminole and, and a few of the great golf courses in South Florida. But let's, uh, you know, what's going on in your world? I mean, we've got, uh, you know, the men's college golf season started and you are the Yale golf coach. What's what's going on with the Yale team and college golf? College golf is officially in season on February 1st. It's a difference of opinion if you're in season in New England versus uh, Florida. Um, we've been very lucky. We've been taking advantage of a, of a relatively mild streak. We've been going to the range. It's um, a tradition uh, unlike any other, every every year around mid-February, I shovel this, the, the freshman and I shovel the snow off the mats and we start hitting balls into the snow. Wow. Um, wow. That's a, <laughs> that doesn't sound like maybe one of Northwestern's practice facilities, maybe like some uh, multi-million dollar indoor. That's, that sounds like you're roughing it a little bit. No, it's good. It's like, where did, you know, I always, I always tell the boys they're too young to remember, uh, to know the movie, but it's the equivalent of, of Rocky training to fight Drago. You know, he went to Siberia. We, we played, we played for the spring season. We shovel snow and we hit balls out there. Sounds like it's going to make you strong and tougher. Instead of getting in the weight room, you just get out there and get the, get the snow shovels out and uh, let it go. I know, you know, I was watching the, you know, they're the, because of the rain and the sort of the weather delays it, at the Genesis, these guys had to play 30 holes in one day. The commentators made it sound like Tiger Woods. They were, you know, they're tuckered out and they couldn't, they're having so much sympathy for these guys playing 30 holes in the rain on us. You know, I'm like, that's, that's like pretty much our season, 36 holes on a Saturday and in, in uh, lousy conditions. Yeah. Tiger's getting old though. I mean, come on, he can't, <laughs> he can't play that many holes. I mean, they need their physios. They need to eat perfectly. I mean, you know, there's so much that goes involved with it though. They talk about that. They talk about L.A. Like they, they talk about Riviera, like it's near the coast and the air is heavy. It's L.A. It's it's Pacific Palisades. Like it's not it's not uh, Nova Scotia or the Scottish Highlands or or Connecticut for that matter. I mean, come on. It's a it's a beautiful place to play golf. I I do want to give a shout out to Riviera. It's 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 you know, it's it's a aside from being maybe the, the best architectural specimen to to host uh a tournament every year they had relatively recently they had the ncaa championships they've had the they had the u.s amateur i mean that's a that is a place committed to competition from the time it began this the the la open turns 90 this year and so played at riviera i've been i've been enjoying sort of seeing all the cool old archiving of the um the original program and the details it's 
That's a great event. I've always loved that event. We should probably address the Kuchar issue. Everyone, the golf world wants to talk about it. You played professionally. You've you've had a you've had um, you've had caddies on the bag. What is your what is your take on on the the Kuchar saga? Matt Kuchar, yeah, really interesting. It's really good that uh, you know. It sounds like he's made good with El Tucan, the caddy over there. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I'm kind of mixed on it, but I think I think I'm leaning more towards. The fact that you know a tour caddy gets paid a hundred and thirty thousand from a one point three million dollar winner's check, and you know like like it's ten percent. I mean you know you're 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 doing really really well if you win a PGA Tour, but not to not to mention all the other little perks and bonuses you get from your sponsors from winning and all the other events that you get into and all the residual money that you make just from that one event, and and so you know I mean. Well, you know, if you paid the guy right up front, you know, 50 or 75 grand, you know, I know he's not a regular caddy on tour, but five grand, that's like, you know, it, it was a little surprising. I played the Walker Cup with him back in 99, and Cooch has always been a fun-loving guy, and, and he's got a great, great persona. Um, uh, it was it was a little bit surprising, honestly, but it sounds like he's he's done the right thing. They, they, he issued a statement. He's given money back to the, uh, you know, tournament down there. So, you know, he, he's kind of saved himself a little bit, but I, I feel bad that it took a while for him to do that. Yeah. I, 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 I suspect like he didn't, the caddy didn't make the same contribution as his regular caddy, but he was on the bag when they won. And Matt hasn't exactly been piling up wins in the last sort of five, six years. And so, and I don't know if you I, – I understand – I get Matt's justification, but he was also in a position to, like, change this guy's life. Like, a $50,000 windfall for this guy is, is like, he's going to – he might be able to – he's going to buy a house. He's going to – this is going to set him up. And, 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 and it's also just – it was such a – it would be the great way to complete a beautiful story. Instead this, of it, the, the story's been little... the story's been dragged out though. It was like you know he could have he could have squashed this thing. This started like back in December or something. You know, tour pro Tom Gillis came out and and talked about uh, you know just blasted something on social media about uh, you know him paying the caddy nothing and you know he should have done something right there. I mean, it's February. I mean, this thing's just it's dragged on and on and on and and it was like you know okay I feel guilty now now I've got to. I've got to go to the hip. I mean, I didn't think he had alligator arms like that, but man, it seems like he did. <laughs> you know, you're 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 right. I mean, it, it, he could have. There should have been a follow, an immediate follow up. Be like, you know what? Uh, when he he when he had a moment to think about it on the on the flight home from that event, he should have been like, let's take care of this guy. And you know, he could he could have been a sort of. That could have only further solidified his sort of status as sort of one of the all-time such great an guys. Oppor- such an opportunity that was that was missed, and you know, I don't. I, it's kind of like one of those things. It's no matter what you do to this, you know, from this point on, you know, it's like if you're a cheater in golf, and then you do everything perfectly from that point on, you're always labeled as a cheater. I I, I just think. Matt is going to be, I don't know, he's just going to have this label of the cheapskate or something. And it's, just, <laughs> right. it's And it's not, I don't, I don't think it's fair to Matt because he's, he's been a, it's not fair. he's been a great guy, but I guess, you know, he kind of did it to himself. So, you know, we'll, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a, 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 one of those hot button stories that uh, I'm glad it's kind of come towards a, a, a good ending, but man, I mean, he had it, no, he had no choice. Like, I was surprised by the breadth of the coverage in the sense that people who don't golf at all were sort of 
it, it had sort of percolated into sort of non-sports news, non-golf news, which was interesting. It was, it was sort of like, you know, golf, sports radio had sort of every other caller for on Friday was about Matt Kuchar. It was, it's, it's an interesting lesson in damage control. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. They gotta you gotta jump on those things a little bit quicker. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it's partially done a little. It's probably done a little damage to his uh, his uh, image. But you know, he'll he'll be all right. He's got forty six million in the bank. I guess you know he can he can go somewhere and on his private island and uh, and hide. You know, if he wants to. Let's get to our let's get to our guest today. Two thousand eighteen U.S. Mid Amateur Champ Kevin O'Connell. He's got some great stories for us. Right before we do that, we couldn't have this podcast without thanking the Silver Club Golfing Society. Uh, you can check it out on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are on at SilverClubGolfingSociety.com online. Check it out. We've got a really cool community of amateur golfers that we're we're creating. Uh, we're talking with people, and uh, you know we're we're building up a, a pretty neat community of golfers. So uh, hopefully everybody will check that out. Let's get to Kevin O'Connell. Okay, it's a great day here on the Silver Club Podcast. We have the 2018 United States Mid-Amateur Champion, Kevin O'Connell, with us. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you. Very, very cool that you've uh, you've carved a few minutes out of your day to join us. What have you been up to since your amazing victory at Charlotte Country Club in the Mid-Amateur? Well, uh, quite a lot of logistics. Type uh, type things with the with the exemption into the Masters and the U.S. Open. Uh, it's been a lot of uh, kind of handling ticket requests and and booking booking some housing for both of those tournaments and uh, and also trying to just kind of enjoy the you know the moment as well. So um, just yeah, working on working on my game and and working on getting everything kind of settled for those two big events in in uh, you know in 2019 and. And also just trying to enjoy it with family and friends, for sure. Tell me you're staying in the crow's nest. So Monday night, uh, they host what's called an amateur dinner uh, for all the amateurs that are uh, participating in the 2019 Masters. And um, that night, uh, uh, following that dinner, I'll, I'll stay in the crow's nest. Uh, you know, that's obviously a bucket list item for, uh, for myself and, and many others. So I'll stay that night, but that, that'll be it. Do you know if there's anybody else staying up there with you? Is uh, Victor Hovland from uh, the U.S. Amateur Champion, is he going to be staying up there? Do you know anything about that? You know, I'm not sure. I, I actually haven't really had any communication with uh, any of the other amateurs that are going to be playing this year. But uh, I, I would imagine just based off of, you know, kind of talking to the to the pros at Augusta, it sounds like uh, certainly Monday night is a pretty popular night for a lot of guys to stay up there. Um, but I'm not sure if Victor specifically will be there or not. We'll see. Well, you, you, yeah, you've got to do that. It's, it's, uh, I was fortunate enough to do it in 1997 and it's, it's one of the greatest things you can ever do in golf. And, uh, it's something that you, you can't put a price tag on. You have to earn your way. And you, you did just that with an amazing victory, uh, at the mid amateur this last year. And we'll get into that in a few minutes, but, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, let's just talk a little about, you know, how your game has evolved to this point now, now that you're, you know, to win the mid-amateur, uh, you know, now you're playing, you're playing in the Masters, you're playing at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. How did your game evolve from you know, being the freshman of the year, uh, you know, in the ACC in 2008 at uh, University of North Carolina, 
how did your game evolve from that point to now? Yeah, uh, you know, as you can imagine, probably uh, a a pretty long story with a lot of detail. But uh, you know, I, I think to to kind of make it uh, you know somewhat concise, I, I would I would just describe myself from that in that kind of ten year period as a player. Uh, going from a guy that was, you know, kind of extremely hard on himself and, uh, you know, wanted to kind of get every detail of his mechanics correct kind of through my collegiate career uh, to, to kind of coming out the other side uh, as, as a reinstated amateur, uh, just, you know, with a little more perspective and a lot less uh, bogged down by mechanics and feeling like, uh, you know, I've got to be a perfect player in order to perform at a high level. And I think, you know, that just kind of removes enough stress uh, to be able to kind of get out of my own way and, and play a little bit more uh, to my ability. And, you know, I, I had a pretty good summer uh, last year leading up to the mid-amateur. And, you know, I just think, um, you know, things just kind of fell into place that I really loved the venue at Charlotte country club. I think that helps a lot. It kind of suited my game, uh, really well. Um, and, and again, just, just kind of allowing myself to kind of get out of my own way is, is so big. And I know you hear that a lot. Uh, and that kind of comes in different forms for different guys. And for me, like I said, it was just a matter of, of kind of not feeling like I had to do everything so perfect in order to perform at a high level. So, um, I think to this point, you know, to try to answer your question, um, you know, just kind of it, it's evolved more mentally than it has physically, probably. Interesting. Interesting. So it, mechanically wise, uh, you know, it's it's noted that you work with uh, famed golf uh, instructor Todd Anderson down at sure. the uh, he's the director of instruction at the Performance Academy, the TPC at Sawgrass. What sort of things has Todd kind of shown you over the years? How long have you worked with him? Um, you know, what, what sort of things have you done to maybe, you know, get away from those mechanical thoughts and get more into the, the, the feel sort of part of the game? Absolutely. So, uh, TA is, and I've had a a pretty, uh, long relationship. I started working, I'm 30 years old now and, and went to him first when I was 15. So, you know, you're talking about half of my life sort of on and off, uh, with him. And, um, when I first, went to him my dad and I we, we were coming back actually from a, a junior event uh down in Orlando at uh at um uh Bay Hill and uh, at the time Todd was at Sea Island and uh we had heard of him through a actually a high school teammate of mine and uh we just kind of dropped in and uh at the time like most juniors I was you know hitting a pretty big hook uh you know kind of for the distance and it was also a pretty natural shot for me at the time when I was 15. And, um, you, you know, when, when I first went to him, I kind of described, uh, some of my misses were a little bit bigger than not only what I like to see, but also some of the, uh, kids that were a couple old, uh, years older than me, uh, seemed to be a little bit tighter, uh, particularly off the tee. And so when I went to him, I, I said, look, I, I'm hitting a pretty big hook and I mainly do it for distance. And again, it's also a pretty natural shot for me, but I'd like to straighten it out and even, uh, ultimately kind of have a flight that, uh, it is, uh, is more along the lines of a fade. And so, um, I, I think Todd, uh, kind of likes that ball flight to begin with. And so I'm sure that was probably something that, 
he liked to hear uh, and felt like that was something that he could kind of work with. And, um, you know, early on, it was just really kind of trying to reverse a lot of the things that I was doing, um, you know, coming from way underneath the plane and just kind of flipping my hands uh, to kind of hit that hook. And, um, you know, he taught me things like how to cover the ball properly. And, and we talk a lot about kind of how the club head and the shaft exits uh, left through the ball. And through the years, you know, as I've gotten stronger, those things have been easier to do. Um, and, and like everybody, my faults kind of still come out, uh, unfortunately, sometimes at the worst, uh, at the worst of times. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, again, getting older and getting stronger kind of allows, uh, for the swing that we've worked on. And, uh, he's also been adamant through the years about, uh, you know, as you kind of get more comfortable with this swing, it's going to be more important that you, uh, get really good inside of 150 yards. And so that's, that's kind of that element that I think Todd, uh, brings that is sometimes a little different from other instructors, you know, that you go to them and, uh, it, it tends to just be mechanics focused every time you work with them. And, um, not that, you know, we weren't that way, but, uh, Todd also was really good about, uh, you know, always talking about the other things and the other aspects of the game that were going to lead to success, that it wasn't just, you know, hey, look, you know, club face stability through impact is is not alone what's going to kind of get you where you want to go. Right, right. Have have you run into any of the the top tour players that he teaches down there? Have you had a chance maybe even to to play with them a little bit to pull some of the things uh, from their game and, and, you know, to help help you in the, your quest to get better? Yeah. Um, to this, I've, I've met several of his, uh, of his guys, uh, Billy Horschel in particular, and, uh, certainly hoping to get a practice round with, with him at Augusta. But, uh, to your point, unfortunately, I haven't been able to kind of get out and, and do really any practice or play with those guys. Um, but I, I think throughout the course of the year, uh, just with kind of everything I've got going on and, and, and being down here in Jacksonville now, I, I certainly hope to be able to do that for sure. Yeah. Jacksonville is a little, uh, maybe a little easier to play golf in uh, year round than your native North Carolina. Uh, you know, although the weather is, is still fairly moderate in, uh, in North Carolina, but right. <laughs> um, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's move even further South down to the West Palm beach area. So back in December, you and I met down at the uh, Walker cup. We, they had a uh, preview session for 16 of the Walker cup hopefuls, uh, right. There was uh, it was shown a lot over social media and some neat pictures that the USGA put out. Talk about that experience and and what it was like to you know number one play you know a few great courses down there like Seminole. Just interact with some of these guys who might be your United States Walker Cup teammates in uh, in 2019. Absolutely. Uh, so just probably the most, uh, special experience that I've had, uh, to this point in my golfing career. Um, it, you know, and it was a little bit unique for me too, because at my age being a mid amateur, um, you know, most of those guys are, are in college or even in, in one player's, uh, case, uh, Akshay, Matia, who's not even in college, you know, these are guys that I wasn't too familiar with. And, and, uh, it, it was for me a little bit <laughs> like going back in time, uh, to my college days, it was a lot of fun to kind of be around, uh, you know, 18 to 22 year old guys and, and just kind of relive, 
uh, you know, how, how they kind of go about things. And I'll say, uh, you know, the players and, and the personalities are, I, I, I noticed a little bit of a shift, uh, just kind of in how those guys carry themselves and, and sort of how the, um, you know, how the game has just changed a little bit in terms of how they play. Um, they're very athletic, very fast, uh, hit the ball a long way. Um, and it was just a lot of fun to kind of see that, but, you know, aside from that, some of the, you know, relationships that, that come out of that are, uh, you know, potentially life-changing, uh, you know, the captain in this year's case is Nathaniel Crosby. Uh, had a great time getting to know him. Uh, you know, he was the, uh, the great Bing Crosby son. And, you know, he certainly shared a lot of, uh, <laughs> pretty good stories, uh, with the team at dinners and, and things like that. And so, um, yeah, just, just truly a great experience. That was the first time I'd ever, uh, been out to Seminole. Uh, as I'm sure, you know, that, that place is, uh, about as good and special as it gets as well. You know, in our silver club podcast, we have a lot of architectural buffs listen to our pod and, you right. know, they, they want to know, you know, for those who haven't stepped on the grounds of Seminole, you know, what, what sort of feelings, uh, are given out to you when you, when you step on those grounds? Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, it, you know, it's, it, to be honest with you, it's, it's not what I was expecting. Um, and, and, and pleasantly surprised, uh, for sure. Um, what, what were you expecting? You, know, you think? Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, things to be a, a little bit more new age and, and, uh, like a five-star hotel type of feel. And it's, and it's not that at all. Uh, it's a little bit like stepping back in time almost to like, a you know, a great golf course in the 1950s or something like that. You can almost see uh, Ben. For, you can almost see Ben Hogan, you know, walking around in the locker room there. That's, can't you? that's exactly right. That you hit the nail on the head. It has that sort of feel to it, um, which you know, for myself and I'm sure like a lot of your listeners, you know, we we can certainly find the, uh, you know, how neat that is, uh, and in a lot of cases you know, certainly prefer that. And from a design standpoint, you know, I'm a huge Donald Ross guy. I, I won the biggest event of my life, uh, the U S mid amateur on a Donald Ross design. Um, in fact, earlier in the summer, uh, I won the Monroe invitational, which is played at Monroe golf club. Another great Donald it, Ross. Yeah. Another great Donald Ross. Exactly. And so as you can imagine, I, I could appreciate the design. Um, it was a little different uh, than, than a lot of other, uh, Ross courses that I played most, most of them that I played are kind of in either North Carolina or even up in the Northeast. And so, um, you know, Seminole is a little bit different than some of those, uh, you know, mostly just because of where it's located. But, um, you know, it's it just it, it's one of those places where if, if you have the opportunity to go do it, I would you know, you got to kind of just drop whatever's going on and, and take advantage of it. Um, it, it just it's, it's that special and that good. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. What talk about maybe a little bit of the of the distance gap? You know, you being a mid amateur, you're what thirty one years old now. I'm thirty so, now. Okay, sorry, I won't. Yep. I won't give you that extra year. <laughs> uh, you know, and some of these guys, you know, like the noted uh, Matt Wolf from Oklahoma State, who just played in the Waste Management Open uh, uh, with the very interesting swing that generates a lot of power. You know, what what sort of distance gaps were there? You know, being you know being the thirty year old. Uh, mm-hmm. that you are versus, you know, some of these younger guys, like you're talking about Akshay Bhatia, uh, yep. who just won the Jones cup incidentally, right. uh, you know, t- talk a little, little, little bit about that, 
you know, as it, as it pertained to your, you know, your matches that you played. Yeah. Uh, there's no question that a distance gap is present, uh, as unfortunate as that is. Um, I, I'm not necessarily short by any means, but, uh, you know, these days, if you're, if you don't pump it out there well in excess of 300 yards, uh, you, you know, you're, you're left behind a little bit, particularly, uh, you know, at the level of the guys that were, uh, part of that practice session. And so, um, you know, Matt and I, uh, Matt Wolf and I teamed up for a couple matches and, you know, it's just impressive to watch a guy, um, just fearlessly pull out driver and carry it 320 yards, uh, on some of these holes that have, you know, trouble on both sides, uh, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I, I like, like anybody that wants to continue to compete, you know, you've got to evolve your game and, um, you know, it just means that maybe you've got to putt a little bit better or, or, uh, uh, do some of the intangible things a little bit better, um, as as I'm sure you can uh, attest to and imagine. Sure, yeah, the, all all those little things, and look, you know, some uh, you know experience. Uh, it, it still plays a factor in golf, so yep. uh, you know you can still <laughs> you can still use that to your advantage. And you know, with all the modern technology and the golf ball going uh, going five miles, it certainly certainly helps us hit it hit it as no far question. farther than we ever used to hit it. You know, uh, so. <laughs> Well, that's cool. So, so let's get in just a little bit to, you know, your run at the Mid Am. Knowing that a, a Masters and a U.S. Open berth was on the line, you know, talk us through a little, you know, maybe a a, a couple of the key matches that that really uh, you went to extra holes in a few of, of your matches leading up to that finals. Talk talk about that run. Yeah, sure. So um, the sister course for stroke play was Carolina Golf Club, also located in Charlotte there. Uh, Again, a Donald Ross uh, design, uh, one that I liked quite a bit. Uh, And uh, I started over there on that golf course where I played my first stroke play round. Um, And, you know, I I was playing pretty well. Uh, I I can't remember what my seed was specifically, but I want to say I finished in the top 10 in, in stroke play. And so uh, was feeling pretty good about my game, uh, and was, and had a high enough seed that, um, you know, I wasn't going to run into a guy that, um, you know, played necessarily really well in stroke play until a couple matches in. And so, um, you, you know, I won pretty convincingly, I think in the first round and, and the second round was a little bit tighter. Um, and, and uh, it really kind of got tight there in the quarterfinals, uh, match, um, where actually I was one down going into 18 uh, and 18 there at Charlotte country club is an absolute monster. I mean, it's over 500 yard par four, you know, the oh, that's approach it. shot is uphill. And uh, anyway, the, the guy I was playing, I was one down to him and, and he was in with a par and I had about a 20, 25 footer uh, to extend the match and, and was able to make it. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, when you do something like that, uh, and then go on to win, uh, that match in 19 holes, it kind of gives you the feeling that, um, you know, something kind of special might be happening. And I definitely got that feeling when I made that putt and forced that extra hole, uh, and won that quarterfinal match. Um, and, and then, you know, on top of that, in my semifinal match, I was, I think I fell four down with, uh, about six holes left or so, uh, again, in the semifinal match, uh, and just kind of chipped away at that one. Uh, forced extra holes and again one on the 19th hole and and uh, you know those two matches just 
really kind of gave me the sense that it was kind of almost, uh, you know, meant to be. Uh, and when, when, when I combined that with kind of the confidence I was feeling, uh, with my putter, uh, you know, in match play, uh, it just, it really gave me a, you know, the feeling that I could go on and, and kind of get it done. Um, and so the run was, uh, you know, kind of two parts. It was cruising early on and then some tight ones, uh, you know, kind of near the end, uh, that, you know, somewhat fortunately went my way. And I think that's kind of how it has to go you know, in match play, if you're going to win, you know, six matches over the course of, you know, three days or so, um, it's not going to just all go according to plan. Um, and so I was definitely fortunate, uh, but also played some, some of the best golf of my life to kind of get that done. You know, since our silver club podcast revolves around the amateur game and the competitive arena, you know, just give our listeners a sense of, of how you focus, how you hit that 25 footer, on the 18th hole when you have to have it, or you have that key shot that you, there's really no, no room for error. What do you tell yourself in that moment to propel you to hit that shot so well? I I think the answer kind of, it can tend to vary a little bit, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, there's times in those moments where uh, you're so focused on just kind of succeeding uh in that moment meaning that you're you know it's it's pull off this shot at all costs uh there's other times where you're you know you're kind of 50 percent resigned to the fact that you know this may not work out and a great run is coming to an end and you're also 50 percent still focused on uh you know on making that putt or hitting that fairway or whatever it is you have to do uh to succeed in that moment uh and, and i'd be uh you know, lying if I sat on that final green, you know, I've got a 25 footer up the slope and it's, you know, breaking a couple of cups outside the hole. It's a hard putt. Uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I was just, you know, if I said I knew it was going in and, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, in, in that moment, you're kind of 50% like, you know, th- this may not work out for me, and, but you're also, like I said, focused on trying to get it done. Uh, and so for me, when it came to that putt, that was kind of the mode that I was in at that time. Uh, and when it went in, um, it pretty quickly kind of gives you the sense, like I said, that, you know, hold on, maybe, <laughs> maybe this is sort of meant to be. It's a pretty good feeling to have, and it's a freeing feeling to have when you, when you feel like things are going your way so much. Uh, That's right. And, and it allows you, it certainly allows you to just, to just go out there and, and perform the hole looks you know bigger than a bucket sometimes and and yep. uh, you're just you, your swing you allow your you know your your true swing really to come out and 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 i mean in those moments do you feel like when you have that that key putt and i know some some of our listeners you know if they're playing in their club championship or they're you know they've got a putt and they get very nervous and you know, sure. you know do your hands shake or do you do you ever I mean, obviously, to to go through and make all those putts, you've got to be pretty. Yeah. You've got to be pretty calm. But you know, is there is there one word that you tell yourself, or you know, you just keep uh, maybe something your caddy even told you throughout the right. throughout the event? Was there anything specifically there? You know, I I think everybody kind of has to cope with that. You know, with the stress of of failing differently. Uh, you know, for me, it, it's. Um, you know, the more I think about it, I think sometimes uh, just being okay with it not working out can really be helpful. Um, you know, at the end of the day, and you hear this a lot, a lot of this is going to sound cliche, but 
um, you know, it, it is just a game. Uh, and, and if the putt doesn't go down or if the result is not what you want, uh, you know, hopefully you're going to have another chance. Uh, and I think approaching it that way, a lot of times can allow you to, at the very least, um, you know, perform at your best. And if that means making the putts and going on to win, well, that's great. But at the end of the day, really what you want uh, is you want to play what you feel like is your best. Um, and however you can kind of get out of your way and allow that to happen, uh, really that's all you're after. Uh, and for me, like I said, it's it, it, it's kind of just being okay with, uh, w- with maybe it's not going to work out, uh, and, and you'll have another chance down the road. Um, I think for me, that kind of helps. Yeah. You, you don't take that do or die attitude to each moment, right? That's right. And, and you know, that, that is going to sound incorrect probably to a lot of competitors. Um, you know, and in fact, if you'd probably asked me early on, uh, you know, in my college years or something like that, I definitely would have taken the tact of, of more do or die. You know, that was kind of how I, uh, you know, approached everything. Um, but as you kind of get older, like I said, things uh, can change a little and perspective can change. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you have to kind of learn those things and learn yourself and learn how uh, to get the best out of yourself. Right. I mean, yeah, because you, you went to three tour schools, I've, I've read, That's and right. you, you never got past the first stage. Correct. Maybe, you know, you, you, you take the mentality you have now and you, you go back into your younger days and you say, hey, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world if this doesn't work out. And, and when you do take that, that attitude and then mentality, uh, oftentimes it does. You got it. You hit the nail on the head there. I think it just uh, it, it's, it all goes back to, to kind of getting out of your own way and freeing yourself up uh, to do what you worked so hard to, to be able to do in practice. Um, you know, it, it makes no sense, uh, you know, to lock yourself up uh, because that gets really frustrating because you feel like you can do so much better. Uh, and it becomes, well, you know, what am I doing? What, how, why am I getting in my own way? What's kind of happening here? And so many times uh, in sports, you blame, you know, maybe mechanics. You think you can practice your way out of it. But oftentimes it's, it's, it's a little different mental approach. Uh, I've found that that can be the difference. Yeah, mindsets before skill sets. I, I'm a big believer in that in that phrase. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you take that right mindset and you, you can, uh, you can kind of do anything now talking about, uh, you know, everybody has got a support system at home or, or on the golf course, uh, in, in your run in the mid am, you had a, you had a pretty good caddy on your side, uh, somebody who'd played in six or seven, uh, uh, USGA events before. Will, will you have that same caddy, uh, in the masters, the U S open, or what, where do you, who's your going to be su- your support system on the golf course this year in your majors? Sure. So, uh, his name is David geese. Uh, David is, uh, another kind of fellow mid amateur, uh, really good player. Um, he's worked at quail hollow, another great club there in the Charlotte area for several years now. Um, and it, when he, uh, unfortunately didn't qualify for the 2018 mid amateur, uh, he sent me a text and said, Hey, look, you know, do you have anybody on the bag? I know Charlotte country club really well. Uh, you know, would love to kind of help you out. And, uh, of course I, you know, happily, uh, took, took him up on his offer. 
And, uh, you know, early on, particularly, uh, you know, in the week when I hadn't played the course, but once or twice, he was really helpful just in terms of, um, you know, what clubs to kind of take off the tee to avoid certain things. Um, and so he was just really good, uh, throughout that entire week. Uh, you know, and, uh, so long story short, he will be on the bag at the masters and the U S open. That's just going to be, uh, you know, one of those all time things to get to kind of share those experiences with him for sure. Prior to the mid am, uh, you said in an interview, you know, during the U S amateur, you played, uh, this was last year at Pebble beach that you played in a, in the 36 hole stroke play portion with a player named Alex Fitzpatrick, who whose brother Matt plays uh, plays in the European Tour, was a 2016 Ryder Cupper, um, and you said that watching Alex, you learned a lot by how he went about things, and and you know, and saw that you saw that you needed to change a few things in your game. What what did you alter in your game from that August trip for the U.S. Amateur to the next month in September at the Mid Amateur? What did you change? Yeah, I think as much as anything, just Alex's kind of disposition as a player out there. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it was kind of his upbringing uh, geographically or, you know, who his older brother was or what the reason is. But um, just kind of the the, um, you know, the freedom and the joy that he kind of played with uh, and particularly the bigger events, uh, it, it can be really easy to. Uh, get really wrapped up in in how you're playing and how you're kind of gonna succeed in that uh, event. And uh, he just the way he played, uh, the pace that he played with, uh, it just looked so appealing to me. Uh, it, it was quick, but it wasn't hurried to the point where it was, uh, you know, detrimental to how he played. Um, and uh, and kind of going back to our, you know, to earlier in the conversation, he just looked like. He, he was never in his own way at all. Um, and so kind of from the mental side, that that's what I meant by that. But uh, I also kind of noticed a couple of things just with, with how his lower body worked uh, in the swing. I, I felt like I had a little bit of a tendency to kind of come off the ball. And, uh, you know, he was like the opposite of that. And I think probably growing up in England and playing a lot in the wind had something to do with that. I mean, he just hit the most beautiful shots uh, out there. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there were just a couple things I sort of learned by watching him and, and being with him for 36 holes. And I don't think there's any question um, that it helped me just one month later at, at the mid-am. That's always good. I think probably the lesson to be learned there, uh, you know, to all our listeners out there would, would probably be go out and play with with players that are you know, that are better than you sure. or that might do something. Uh, and I'm not saying Alex was, you know, was better than you. Maybe that week he was, right. but, um, but yeah, so, so oftentimes people are very, they're very shy about, you know, trying to get out there. You know, if they're a 10 handicap, they're shy about getting out there with somebody who's a scratch or even a pro, right. but, uh, you can, you can certainly learn a lot. And that's, uh, it sounds like that's what you did, uh, what you did out there. Now talking Pebble beach a little bit, you've got to be pretty anxious for the U S open there this year. Uh, you know, how, how might that golf course, set up for you do you you know do you feel like your iron game is strong because the, the greens there at pebble beach are as small as anywhere on the planet 
Yeah, no question. Uh, I really enjoy my my time at the U.S. Amateur. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot better than than Pebble Beach. Um, So I feel really fortunate to be going, you know, back there as my U.S. Open uh, exemption. But, uh, you know, I would I would argue, uh, you know, distance as much as anywhere uh, at Pebble is is um, it doesn't quite matter as much there. I mean, like anywhere, there's areas on the golf course where distance certainly can help. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, their experience and, and really kind of being able to place your ball, uh, and, and putt well, uh, you know, kind of making those five to 10 footers for par to keep things going. Um, those are sort of more, uh, important there in my opinion. Uh, and when you throw in the mix that it's going to be a U.S. open, um, I, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, I'm excited to kind of go out there knowing that, uh, you know, those are the things that are going to uh, you know, be more the formula for success than necessarily who can kind of fly it the furthest and make the most amount of birdies. Yeah, do you think now, now along the lines of Pebble Beach, now having, having the small greens that they do, they often get, uh, they get a lot of traffic, a lot of spike marks, a lot of everything. With the new USGA rules, and I've, I've tried to, I've done some, you know, some observing of this and the tour events, uh, you know, you know, you hopefully you'll get a, a good draw and a good, you know, maybe earlier in the in the waves. But, you know, unless your name's not, you know, unless your name's Tiger Woods or, you know, Phil Mickelson, you might be towards the back of the pack a little bit. Right. How do you think this new tapping down the spike marks rule uh, will, will help you maybe being in the back of the pack? Sure. I, I mean, you know, the, the Povent greens that they are, you know, that they have out there, as most people know, uh, later in the day, they get bumpy. And, you know, to be honest, I haven't played a tour event uh, yet. And so every field I've ever played in, uh, you know, has been soft spikes only. And so I have no experience really with uh, playing on greens where metal spikes are, you know, are allowed and, um, you know, how that's going to mix with the greens, particularly at Pebble. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, but I don't think there's any question that uh, the new rule changes, you know, allowing players now to tap that stuff down um, is really going to help, particularly on those those. I mean, it can get it can get a little dicey even inside two feet, as I'm sure, you know, on greens like that in the afternoon. Right, uh, and so right, I don't right. I don't think there's any question the rule change is, is going to help with some of that. That's going to be kind of neat and, and kind of interesting to see how the, you know, how the whole year plays out and see kind of where the winners in all these events come from and, right. you know, where they're, where they're, you know, situated in the, in the waves uh, early on in the event. I think that that's a, a often underlooked uh, uh, factor in, in how the, how, how the final scores end up, uh, end up shaking out. Sure. But, it's an excellent uh, point. We'll, yeah, well, thank you. We'll we'll uh, you know we're, we'll close this out in a, in a moment. But um, and I certainly appreciate your time. But but you know, talk about uh, you know how you're prepping your own game. Maybe it's equipment wise. Maybe it's uh, you know mental game wise, physically wise. How are you prepping your game? You know, to tackle a few of these great major venues in Augusta National and Pebble Beach this year. Right. I, you know, as much as anything, uh, as a competitive golfer, I think what you want is, uh, you want a game that, that can travel. Um, and, and how I kind of approach that is, you know, what's sort of the easiest way that I can almost have, 
it feel like I can sort of roll out of bed no matter where I am uh, and and play solid. And to me, that's the less thought, the better. And so I'm just trying to take a lot of information, uh, you know, like you mentioned, from equipment to, you know, how you uh, tackle mechanics and all these sort of things and just distill them down into as few thoughts as possible uh, so that when it comes time to show up at those tournaments, I'm not searching for anything. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of distractions that, you know, I'm just, uh, honestly not used to. Uh, and so I want to perform well. And, and I just think it's really important that, uh, you know, I'm not thinking about a million different things, uh, in order to feel like I can play well. Uh, and that's somewhat of a vague, uh, response I know, but, um, I, I just the least amount of mechanical thought I can have. I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest goal of mine. I, I just I want to have um, almost a formula that's that's very simple to follow uh, that doesn't require a ton of thought, uh, but certainly produces the shots that I'm looking for. And in addition to that, uh, I do have the ability to visit Augusta several times before uh, tournament week, and I'll obviously take advantage of that. Uh, I'll take a local caddy uh, each time and, and just kind of pick their brain and try to understand the, the nuances of, of the golf course and some of the things that they've seen over the years. Um, and, and when I'm at home, I'll work on some of those shots. And, uh, you know, there's no question that uh, many nights I kind of set myself to sleep, you know, thinking about that first tee shot. And so, uh, you know, just the, things like that is kind of how I'm preparing got to be hard to uh to sleep at night sometimes thinking that you're going to be playing <laughs> in the masters uh yeah. that's 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 very special maybe they'll give you a nice courtesy car and uh, you'll get to sure. drive down <laughs> you, you get the full treatment that's uh, right. when, when you pull into the to the to the gates there um you know just uh some of your goals for this year and some of these events uh what what are can you share some of your goals with us, uh, you know, even from, you know, even outside of the majors, you know, what, what are a few of the goals that Kevin O'Connell to have a successful 2019, what, what sort of, uh, goals do you, have you set for yourself? Yeah. Outside the, the, you know, those two events, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to the masters and the U S open, um, you know, it's one of those things where everybody as a little kid dreams of playing in those tournaments. And obviously, uh, plenty of times have hit, uh, putts on the putting green while their mom is, you know, waiting in the parking lot to pick them up. They've got to hang on just a minute. I got this putt to win the U S open. And so, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, I, I don't dream of winning those events. Um, but I, I think certainly, uh, you know, feeling like I can compete on that level, uh, is a goal of mine. Does that mean making the cut? Does that mean finishing the top 10? Does that mean, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I just, my goal is to feel like, you know, my game stacks up on some level, uh, with those guys outside of that. Um, I, I think, you know, even at the mid-am level, winning a tournament is a goal of mine every year. Uh, if that turns into more than one, that's sort of all the better. Uh, but there's no question that I want to win, uh, this year. And, I'm lucky enough to be able to play in probably eight or 10 events, uh, outside of those two majors. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just, uh, I'm really looking forward to playing a lot of the great venues. And, and, uh, like I said, I, I'd love to, to win at least one time. 
Sure. Now, what you talk about some of the uh, these extra events, sure. now, winning the mid amateur certainly opens up a lot of doors right. uh, for for some uh, you know some extra invites. What are what are some of the cool invites that you've gotten this year to some of these top amateur events? Uh, yeah. So no question, the most special one. Uh, there's a great little um, not little but great uh, event at Seminole um, called the uh, Coleman Invitational. Uh, which I'll be doing at the end of April. I very much look forward to that. Um, and, and then in addition, you know, you're looking at all of the best uh, amateur events throughout the summer, the Northeast Amateur, uh, the Western Amateur. Obviously, I'll be going back to the U.S. Amateur in Pinehurst, which um, I very much look forward to. Um, it, you know, just events like that uh, throughout the year, and they're all played on such great golf courses and uh all events that I played in college. And so it'll be a lot of fun to kind of go back and, and revisit some of those. Um, so just really a great year outside the masters and the U S open. Do you foresee yourself ever, you know, trying the professional route again? I know you played for a few years, you've got, you've become reinstated as an amateur. Do you ever see yourself wanting to, you know, get back out there and, and competing, you know, for a living? Right. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, everybody probably, you know, on my level or around my level harbors thoughts of that. And, um, you know, I think to be honest with you, Steve, it it just is all kind of how I'm playing. Uh, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position where I've got amateur status. I very much kind of enjoy, uh, that and would certainly be happy doing that. And so, um, if I feel like my game's in a position to, to kind of take advantage of, of an opportunity to go play, um, I would certainly do that. But again, uh, I, I just feel very lucky to kind of be in the position I'm in because I'm not, my hand's not forced to do anything, you know? And so, um, to answer your question, yes, I, I, I would certainly do it, but, uh, it's, it's gotta make sense. Uh, not just for myself, but kind of for my family situation as well. Sure, sure, sure. Well, well, look, you've you've got an amazing year lined up, uh, and I'm sure you're just giddy every time you get out to that practice tee, and you're <laughs> you're you know uh, you know that at April date at Augusta can't come soon enough, uh, and I'm sure you're going to work on your game really, really hard. You know, we'll be rooting for you really hard uh, as well, and hopefully, maybe we'll see you at in Butler cabin with Jim Nance and that as the low great. amateur, or maybe you'll even be donning the green jacket. You never, <laughs> ever know. Uh, never amateurs know. have come really, really close in the past. And, uh, there's, uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some good ties to amateur golf in Augusta national. So wish you the best of luck this year in all your great tournaments, but most importantly, enjoy the ride. Thanks a lot, Steve. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on.